What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, of course, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? We have, once again, been blessed with the presence of returning special guest, Lauren McCaffrey. Thank you again, Lauren, for coming back on for this one. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for letting me do this one. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one. Um, But before it gets fun, I have to bring the tone down a little bit. Before we get into the episode proper, I've got an announcement to make. Um, We're putting this at the very beginning of the episode here just to get it out of the way. So my involvement, me, my being Rob Santos, my involvement with the Inking Out Loud podcast um, as a regular host, at least, is coming to an end for now. The truth is, and if you if you subscribe to our newsletter or you've hung out in our Discord server, you'll know this already probably. I've been offered a job, finally, with the uh, Canadian Armed Forces. More specifically, the Air Force offered me a job, uh, providing I can graduate basic training as an AVN tech, which is basically, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, aircraft mechanic. So I'm going to be servicing and maintenance in fighter jets or helicopters or large troop transport. I don't even know yet. I don't know if I even get to pick. Uh, but what that means, though, is I'm going to have to start where everyone else starts. I'm going to have to start with boot camp. And I'm going to spend at least at least until Christmas in a small bunk in saint jean sur richelieu Quebec, getting yelled at by officers and taking three-minute showers and getting my quarters tossed out and made to do push-ups, you know, all that fun jazz. And then I'm going to spend uh, either spend like a year plus in baseboard in Ontario at the Canadian Forces School of Aerospace Technology and Engineering, and I still won't have any quarters there for recording something like this. Um, it's very possible that I'm gone at least for, at least as, as a host rather than the occasional guest appearance for as long as two years, perhaps. It could be longer, but I am going to be back. I could also be uh, sent immediately to on-the-job training because COVID really screwed things up, I hear, for scheduling <laughs> the training at various military schools um sometimes i recruits are just sent straight to a squadron for on the job training and then you wait until spots in the trade classes open up so whatever but what does that mean for inking out loud not much honestly uh drew being the best friend and co-host a guy could ask for of course has already been handling the vast majority of guest wrangling uh scheduling editing and uploading you know general administration of the podcast so the main difference going forward is that he will be going as the main host into the future joined instead by a variation of many returning guests i'm sure we're going to hear lauren on the on the podcast uh, quite often in the future as well oh yeah this <laughs> is not the last time you'll hear me like i said i'll be off radar for a few months at least until christmas but after then i should find some time to dip in and say hello on occasion so that's it i i really want to say thanks to everyone it's it's been an absolute blast and i will never forget it and to add one more Reason for that, to bring the mood back up, the subject of today's episode, Drew and I are finally covering a proper novel by the notorious Andy Weir. I can't, I I could not end my span on the Inking Out Loud podcast without a journey through Project Hail Mary, easily my favorite of the whopping two books of his that I've read. So, (laughs) fire up the spin drives, let's engage in snappy repartee with our favorite alien space dog, and let's save two worlds together. Drew, Project Hail Mary. Alrighty. Yeah. So this is an interesting book. Our first person protagonist wakes up from a coma on a spaceship with no memory of what he's doing, who he is, or why he's there. His two crewmates are dead and the shipboard computer is singularly unhelpful. As he works to find out what's going on, his memories begin returning. 
His name is Dr. Ryland Grace, and he was a cellular biologist turned middle school science teacher when the sun started dimming at an alarming rate. Earth mobilized to deal with the apocalyptic emergency, spearheaded by Eva Stratt. She recruited Grace for his theoretical expertise on alien life, and he discovers that a microscopic alien called Astrophage is essentially eating the sun. The narrative splits between Grace's memories on Earth and his work in the Tau Ceti system to unlock the secrets of Astrophage and how to save Earth. He quickly discovers that humanity is not alone. A spider-like alien race from Eridani is also on the brink of disaster and sent a, sh a ship to Tau Ceti. Together, the lone Iridian survivor, dubbed Rocky, and Grace work feverishly to communicate and solve their shared problem. They ultimately discover an amoeba that eats astrophage and breed it to live in their home systems, but accidentally also breed it to escape the Iridian's special xenonite metal. As Grace is preparing to return to Earth, he realizes that Rocky's ship has been crippled by the Tau amoeba and turns back to save his alien friend. In the end, Grace is hailed as a hero by the Iridians and lives in a special biodome on their planet, teaching the Iridian equivalent of middle schoolers. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. So much fun. Okay. Now, now Rob, did you yeah. did you read this before? I had. I had read it uh, oh, yeah. twice before. So okay. I was really pushing hard to get this to get this one on. Had, had you, Lauren? I read it a few months ago. Our neighbor recommended it highly. Uh, and since we've been giving him oh, yeah. lists upon lists to complete, I felt like it was kind to read something that he recommended yeah. <laughs> rather than just neighbor has we. good taste. You can tell him that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Your Canadian friend says so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, Drew, you are I'm... the first-time reader for today. I am. I... I uh... The only Andy Weir I had read before this was uh, the short story The Egg, uh, which we covered on a Patreon-exclusive episode a while back. Um, mm. And so I got to say... Reader. Let's get your thoughts first. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I enjoyed it. I read this book in a very short amount of time, <laughs> uh, and I would not have been able to do that if I didn't enjoy it, if the plot and the way the narrative was structured didn't really pull me along. Uh, you know, we, we had talked about, we recorded an episode uh, just a few days ago and afterward I mentioned Rob, I was like, yeah, this is, this is a short book thinking that this was a novella. I don't know why I had that impression. Um, <laughs> but I thought it was going to be like, you know, a hundred, 120 pages. And I opened my Kindle on Sunday night. We're recording this on Tuesday evening. I, I opened it Sunday night and I was like, oh, it's a nearly 500 page novel. Oh boy. Mm. And, uh, and I had a double header of hockey games last night. So I was, you know, out of town in, in Denver playing hockey for, and then driving two hours round trip and didn't have any time to read last night really. And so I had to really, uh, cram this and thankfully it was an enjoyable read. It, it would have been very rough to cram a book that I didn't like. So I'm, yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. Sweet. Lauren thoughts. Okay, you, so you said the neighbor had recommended it. Yes, yes, and he knew that I would be drawn in right away. Uh, definitely loved how we start with uh, Grace not really knowing where he is, but using different methods to figure out what's going on. Like he understands that gravity is odd. You know, when he falls, 
you know, mm-hmm. and, and okay, why, why would gravity be weird? Okay, am I in a centrifuge or am I, what's, why, why would it not be like Earth gravity? And I know exactly the speed of, you know, gravity pulling down on me. And every time I clock it, it's different. So that, that pulled me in right away was having, having him exploring in that way. Because if I didn't know who I was, I would probably try something like that, you know, or where I was. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a lot of relatability in this book, despite its outstanding nature and its just spectacle. I mean, what really did, did it for me, something that carried over from The Martian, just in Andy Weir's style, is his humor. His humor is all over this book. I mean, don't get me wrong. We will talk about the hard science. I cannot wait for that. <laughs> but first and foremost, front and center, like his main character in this one, he's no, like Ryland Grace. He's noticeably darker and he's more cynical than uh, Mark Watney was in The Martian, for example. But it still feels, in my opinion, and maybe it's due to the literal and figurative darker setting here, every bit is vibrant. Particularly when it ends up contrasting wonderfully with our unexpected and chipper, like I said, alien space dog spider Rocky. You know, they play (laughs) off one another nicely. Uh, And I'm definitely getting into some of my favorite jokes there too. So I really didn't see it as dark at first either and you know the first read i mean Mm. but yeah the second read definitely thinking of grace like uh the lonely life he was living very isolated i know he's got his students but how deeply connected is he with anybody there are no big personal relationships we don't even know if his parents are still alive that's true we didn't mention them found that out huh and and he's living in this bachelor pad with um you know microwavable meals and he had this life where he was at the forefront of his scientific field and kind of excluded and he doesn't have any friends in academia anymore. He's got one friend he has coffee with, and we only hear about her one time. Hmm. You yeah, know, she's he's just so yeah. he's just so sad and isolated. And oof, I didn't feel that the first time because I was too excited about the adventure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the character really stands out. Many characters stand out again, or many moments stand out again on rereads. I am going to be talking about rereads in our style discussion. For sure. I have a couple yeah. of style points going forward, though. But, Drew, is there anything that that, uh, that jumps straight to the forefront that you wanted to get out of the way? Something oh, that yeah. jumped out to you? Go ahead. Yeah, so the biggest thing we got to talk about, well, really, it's two things kind of inextricably tied. Uh, it's the structure of this book, the give and take of the flashbacks in the form of memories that are you know returning to him as a result of this amnesia drug uh, yeah. with the current timeline and the way we're you know weaves them to help build the tension and build the mystery uh it reminds me a bit of how um and now i'm blanking completely completely just blanked uh gentlemen bastards scott lynch uh, a little bit about of how scott lynch uses his flashbacks in the gentleman bastard books to inform the current mm-hmm. narrative and build the kind of narrative tension as it's going along. Uh, oftentimes it is 
used to provide an explanation for a phenomenon that's going to be happening in the next chapter. Here we get a lot of that where something happens in the current timeline that we don't really understand. And then we'll get a, a flashback to a memory that, you know, Grace is remembering when he was explaining this phenomenon to another, you know, person or or dealing with it in their buildup in Project Hail Mary. And then we jump back to the current timeline and we get our answers. So it's really deftly done, this balance. And then, of course, when we get to the the real climax of the book, the memories start coming more and more rarely because the real action is happening in the current timeline. And we don't want to mm-hmm. break up that that momentum. Uh, but the, the other thing that's really tied... Um, like essentially tied in with this is uh, the first person perspective and the tense. He actually switches between past and present tense, whether it's a memory or the current timeline. Yeah. And even in the current timeline, he'll sometimes like catch us up and use the past tense at the beginning of a chapter where, you know, he'll, he'll skip forward in time, like the 11 days they're going from Adrian back to the blip a or something like that. And instead of just having us go in present tense from leaving Adrian and and getting to the blip a, he starts off in past tense and says, the ride went smoothly or, or I spent all the time, you know, in the lab working on this stuff and now it's current time. And now I'm using present tense again. Yeah. And so that, in a way, reminds me a bit of the Acts of Cain, where when we are in the, like when Cain is online in Heroes Die, he's speaking in first person present tense in his soliloquy. But when we're not online with Cain, quote unquote, it's in past tense and third person. Obviously, this doesn't go pull completely back because it's still his memories that we're experiencing in the flashbacks. But uh, I was reminded of that. And I, I think that's really fascinating when authors mess around with tense within the same narrative. Oh, yeah. We saw this actually pretty recently with Robert Jackson Bennett. when We had Isaac Stewart on talking about uh, Locklands. You know, mm-hmm. Jackson Bennett handled that particularly well. Again, switching tenses to very clearly delineate uh, timelines. Yep. And- it's, it's a really interesting technique, and it's only something I've really been paying attention to recently, having had my attention drawn to it on Inking Out Loud. I don't even know. like It's it's done so subtly in it, uh, that I don't, I don't know if I would have picked up on it if I hadn't all this experience looking out for this kind of thing. Um, but I really love it when an author sets out to do something like that, and they don't fumble it. They just seamlessly, apparently effortlessly manage to do it. Yeah, and honestly, because I did this in audio, um, some of those things don't really pop out for me because okay. They sound so you did the natural. audio too, right? All right. Yeah, yeah, both times. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, which you, okay. I also didn't know how things were spelled. <laughs> yeah, it, and I'm really curious as because I also did the audiobook for every time as well. Um, we have to talk with the narrator in a second, but. I just have a question, actually. So, Drew, you're the only one here that's actually read the physical. How do they uh, uh, display Rocky's text? 
Like, cause it, in a lot of the times we're just getting humming notes in the audiobook where the narrator is going, <laughs> how in the hell uh, are they? It's, it's literally it? just like music notes on the page. What? Okay. So yeah. Is there, oh, is there an cool. actual, uh, are there, <laughs> cannot believe I don't remember the actual nomenclature. Um, there's no like lines in the back. There aren't like, or like, no, it's just the notes. Um, lines in the back. Seventh year old trumpet player, me would want to smack me with that trumpet if you heard me say that. Good lord. Trying to see if I can find a an example of it. I was thinking it might do uh, waveforms. Is... Then I was like, how would the narrator then insert no. notes on that? Um. Yeah, like I don't, I don't know how well you can see this. But you can see the can see. Uh, the music notes. Oh yeah, they're literally yeah. Ta 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 ta. Yeah, okay, cool. I'm uh, sure there's actual names. Interesting, because I, you know, obviously we can't tell what notes those are. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely stand out in the no audio line. I mean, yeah. I appreciate that because, like, um, I don't know. Maybe this is getting into the like hard hard science style discussion. Um, like, because obviously there is a lot of hard science in this science fiction but he yeah. presents it in a way that like you don't have to stop and examine all of it you can just sort of go along for the ride and be like okay yeah i'm gonna take this for granted i don't need to stop and double check everything to make sure it's accurate um and the music notes there are kind of the same way like i don't need to stop and figure out exactly what these music notes are supposed to be even though he calls it out at some points where he's like, you know, there's a, a G chord and it has these notes in it or whatever, but it, it sort of functions like the vocabulary in the book of the new sun, where you come across some insane word and you don't really need to stop and look up the definition of the word. You can just go along with it in the context of the story and get a feel for what the author was trying to do with it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So yep. in the audio, um, it sounds like chords, like he's playing an organ in okay. like G minor. Yeah. I don't know if you know. It's like a haunting. I mean, it type makes of... sense. He has an organ at the end of the book to communicate with the Iridian children. Yeah. So the whole time Rocky yeah. is talking, anytime there are notes, we hear them in the audiobook. Not yeah. not generally, like it's... the reader going hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But That's but cool. the vast majority of them are. Or the or Rocky's voice just put like an actual speaking human voice put through like a filter, put through a very um, yes. auto-tuned kind of filter. So that's okay. pretty cool yeah. as well. Yeah. It, a lot of special effects. His English dialogue is in italics mm-hmm. when, okay. when Rocky yeah. talks. And I love so. the quirk of ending every inquiry with question. Question? It's so adorable. There's so much about Rocky that I can't wait to Thank. get on. But you, Drew, you, you did just briefly bring up that science and oh. I don't even know where to begin to try complimenting here on the science. Go ahead. Okay. So I want to bring up in this, uh, I love science. I've studied science all my life. I did undergrad science. Love it so much. What I really appreciate here is he, you can absolutely tell that Weir loves what he's talking about. He did a lot of research to try and be you know, in the realm of reality with the ah. equations that he's talking about, right? Because Grace is always doing them in his head, but they're they're real. A lot of them, we, yes, like they're real equations. Yes, we have 
discovered them in in science on earth currently right um yeah the other thing that i appreciate is he keeps it solely to science and not scientism so like scientism is an ideological appropriation of science where it's not really about um asking the questions and finding the answers, but it's about having answers and uh, not really having the data, you know, like making science say what you think it should say without having the hypothesis and the test and the retest and, you know, the, the, criticism by other scientists in the field he doesn't he doesn't go into that he kind of keeps it he keeps it pretty on track which is nice i appreciate it and we have mm. the same failings where uh for instance when he's doing the experiment with the taumiba and they evolve to hide in xenonite um that that's something that would come up in a study where, or, or an experiment where you're not repeating the experiment or somebody else isn't doing it and you're not, you don't have any feedback. There's no other scientist criticizing your work. These are, you yeah. know, these are the mistakes that happen. Yeah. Oh yeah. I love how faithful he is to the idea that the largest, most amazing, and most horrifying discoveries don't typically tend, from what I understand, not that I'm a scientist myself, don't typically tend to be these giant black or white A or B discoveries. It's usually starting with a small oddity, something slightly out of the norm, something that just draws your curiosity for a moment, and then it starts to spell disaster in huge letters. Um, yeah, or, or one celebration. Red yeah. It's. Just, I mean, I don't. I won't even pretend that I understand. I won't even attempt to pretend that I understand all of the science in this book. I, the, where the chemical reactions and the maths are concerned, I'm. I'm not particularly there at all. I'm. I'm okay with the biology and the basic particle physics. Um, but what I loved about how Weir does his homework, you had mentioned how he does. He does his research. He doesn't just do his research on the science. He does his research uh, supposedly on the people, or I should say, peepholes. I, I heard him say something about Canadians, for example, that I, I didn't even know was true. Or if I knew it, I should say, I should specify, I hadn't considered it. I hadn't considered the oddity. And I have it, I'm paraphrasing here. At one point, Ryland Grace is like, okay, I think in imperial units, that means I'm American. Oh, yeah. Or I'm from Liberia <laughs> or, or Canada. Uh, Canadians use feet and inches for smaller measurements. And <laughs> in that moment, I was at work measuring five and a half inches for a half inch steel uh, rod cut when I heard that. And it was like, yeah, I do. Huh. There are no centimeter tapes around here, despite the fact that I'm used to thinking in longer distances as <laughs> meters, kilometers. Um, but you won't catch me dead using centimeters on a measuring tape. Right? Like yeah. all of these yeah, things, all of these separate, these international bodies coming together. It was just such an inspiring thing. And that was very much like the Martian too, just in larger scale. I just... Oh, it just rang so true. His flat, another one, his flashbacks to teaching. My mom's a teacher, you know, and she's actually been on the podcast before. Uh, 
she had good days. She had bad days. This line about Abby, the pain in the ass, that one, but smart as a whip though. You know, these little quirks of little students that that stand out to these teachers, just, it does read very true. It reads organic. And I love, I love it when he takes the time to do that. These characters shine because of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he definitely, even just reading the acknowledgements, he has pretty extensive uh, acknowledgements, thanking all the people who helped him with his research on this. He's got, you know, somebody who, who helped with astronomy and stellar sciences, another guy who, who is all about planetary science and atmospheres, an exoplanet specialist, a neutrino specialist, um, chemistry, like, yeah. So, so he's got, you know, he, he definitely went out there and, and made sure he was covering his bases, even though I'm certain he knows that most people aren't going to be double checking, you know, you don't need to double check the science in a science fiction story because it is fiction. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, you know, you have to just make something up. Right. Uh, there has to, yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I have one one kind of uh, tying this back to our discussion about Rocky and like how he talks. I'm curious, um, in the audiobook, yeah. for the final chapter, did they just call it yeah. chapter 30? Nope. It's called okay. chapter <laughs> or something. Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> it is, uh, it uses the in in the physical book, it uses the symbols from the clock for the numbers. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's that it's that kind of surreal moment as an audiobook <laughs> listener where you're realizing you're you're close to the end when he says that the chapter. <laughs> you're like, oh, that's yeah, so awesome. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is it <laughs> already? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dang, I gotta make <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. The <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's funny. That's a lot. That's of fun. really funny. Yeah, I mean, yeah, these audiobooks are stellar. That's that's a, a good. Crazy. A good point. Like, you know, we started off by talking about how this is like when you dig down, it's actually a pretty dark book. It deals with some heavy themes, isolation, suicide, you know, but at the yeah. same time, it really is a fun book. Like a, a lot of the fun in it obviously comes from Rocky, uh, but even even the world building that he brings in like that, that's it's fun world building. It's in, it's entertaining to engage with. And I think that's why it was so easy for me to to cruise through this in essentially a day, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. One last thing about the audiobook. I had forgotten to bring this up. The narrator is none other than the famous Mr. Ray Porter, who also did the Rune Lords in his entirety. Oh. So oh. it was very surreal for me to be hearing the, like, the voice that gave me Sir Borinson, Mirima, Falian, Binisman, you know, delivering this one. It, it's just, uh, it was a lot. Of, it was just awesome. It's awesome. Great talent yeah. there. Wow. I didn't even realize. I, I listened yeah? to the Had you heard? audio. Oh, you did you? Oh, it's yeah. probably a long time apart though. I'm not going to lie. It yeah. took me two or three <laughs> listens to be like, where is that voice from? If I hadn't just done the entire second arc of the Rune Lords, I probably would still be wondering that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. That is um, about it for my style. I mean, I have another style point that I'm going to wrap this up. I have a conclusion for today on this book with overall thoughts. But I'm through okay. my style points. Any more from either of you guys? Uh, Yeah. So I, I do have one kind of criticism of the book. Okay. Uh, I don't think Andy Weir is very good at writing dialogue. Uh, mm. There are a lot of moments in conversation where 
it just plain did not feel like something a real human being would say or, or like okay. how a human being would talk. Um, and it, if it were just focused on uh, Ryland Grace, I could write it off as like, oh, he's just you know, like an awkward loner. But it really does creep into a lot of like Straff and some of the the other scientists that he deals with. Uh, like, and even some of the kids, like, that's not, like, it, it just, it just didn't feel genuine as I was reading it. It, it felt very stilted and staged mm. of, like, the, the author's hand was heavy on the page saying, like, I need the conversation to go this way, so I'm going to make the conversation go this way, instead of having the conversation naturally develop in a way a conversation would um that was one of the the only things i had a problem with thankfully it wasn't really an issue with brocky because like obviously this is a weird conversation this is a human conversing with an alien um who just learned each other's languages yeah yeah but but it was a lot of the dialogue in the flashbacks that that pulled me out a little bit um i don't think it ruined the book or anything but it it did you know, given how fast I read this book, I didn't have a whole lot of time to stop and like really Digest. ruminate and and take yeah. lots of notes or anything like that. But that was one of the things that I did stop and think about a few times, where I was like, "Man, I am noticing this." Hmm. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, you know, but but in in the grand scheme of things. It's a relatively minor criticism in this book. I don't think it ruined it by any uh, by any means, uh, especially because the majority of the important dialogue is is between Grace and Rocky. So, uh, so yeah, but th- but that's really my last style point as well. And um, and I feel like because part- we heard it point. in audio, you know, it um, maybe Should, didn't yeah. make those things feel as stark because they sounded natural it's true i'm sure that i'm Slash sure we were both working just, that guy can spin <laughs> anything and make it sound good i mean <laughs> there was a particular exchange between strat and uh Ryland grace in chapter four when uh he first manages to kill an astrophage and they they she, she ends up following like asking him how did you do it what what killed it and he says i penetrated the other cell membrane with a nano syringe and there's a silence and she goes you poked it with a stick he goes no well yeah, but it was a very scientific poke with a very scientific stick. It took you two days to think of poking it with a stick. It's like you be quiet. <laughs> like it, that feels very organic to me. Maybe these moments just kind of overshadowed everything else, but I don't know. I didn't notice any of these moments. Although I, I'm definitely not going to be uh, leaving this alone. I'm going to be rereading again in the future, so I'm going to be. Yeah, I actually the one line that I did highlight and like when I made that initial note was also from chapter four. And they're walking in, and uh, it's just this kind of sequence. It says, I gasped. Wait a minute. Am I a guinea pig? I'm a guinea pig. No, it's yeah. not like that, she said. I stared at her. She stared at me. I stared at her. Okay, it's exactly like that, she said. Dang it, I said. That's just not cool. Like, that right there did not feel like uh, a genuine reaction. Like, either, me- either this is going to be, like... In how, how do I describe it? In in this moment, 
it feels like this is supposed to be him like genuinely outraged. Yeah. But it does not come across as genuine outrage. And, and instead it feels like he's being like facetious about it, but you know, he's not because you're in a first person Ah. point of view with him and he's actually upset. I definitely think this is a spot where the audiobook definitely nailed that. Yeah. Uh, for us, because with with Ray Porter, that <laughs> came across. I mean, number one, you got to consider that Ryland Grace does not curse like at all. I think he has one no, curse in this entire book. Right. But on top of that, uh, Ray Porter, I think he delivered it like uh, uh, he was like, dang it, that's just not cool. You know, yeah, like it was a yeah. little more indignant. Uh, and, see, and if there up. had been like an ellipses in the middle yeah, to like indicate yeah. that kind of pause, that would come I across as more realistic. But there isn't, so it just it's like right. that's just not cool. Well, you know, and that's not how people. Is talk, it not even italicized? You know? No, it's not. It's just oh yeah, standard I can see that being text, bland. Yeah. Then okay, yeah, I think that's a disconnect um, between the audio and the. Uh, but but also text. like it it makes him sound more immature. Dialogue Maybe, like yeah. that. Perhaps. I mean, he's definitely going for like a a naive. I don't know about necessarily immature, but like a naive thing with him. Be and, mm-hmm. and that's reflected in the fact that he doesn't curse. Uh, but but it's not necessarily like the immaturity or naivete or whatever. You it, it just doesn't come across as something a a normal human being would say in that situation. Like yeah. you're you, reading it, you just realize that you're being used as a test subject for a potentially lethal, you know, contact with an alien species, you're not going to react that way. Like, so that, that was where I had, where I had issues and and there were more things like that. Uh, but that's not to say that there weren't good elements yeah. of, of dialogue. You know, there were, there were some scenes that like, you know, like you said at the top, Rob made me laugh. Um, like that extremely awkward scene with Dubois and Shapiro. <laughs> Where they're just like, <laughs> we have engaged in sexual congress. By the way, we have 15 minutes on our schedule. Would you like to meet up in the bathroom down the hall to have sex? And he's just like, what is going on right yep. now? Yes, I <laughs> and she's just like, okay. I think, no, no, no. She no. asked him and then he goes, I believe we, that would be amenable. You know? And yeah. Rylan stops and he, he stops again. He waits even longer to make sure there's not going to be any more oversharing. And then he continues. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty good. Dubois is just so awkward. He like he, he's a gem. <laughs> he does, he, like he doesn't. I don't even know if I consider it awkward because he just seems so sure of it. It's like if he was like stuttering. Well, it's not was, like, awkward for him. It's awkward before. for everybody else. Uh, yeah, everybody. Else. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. He just so doesn't he's care. Awkward to read for sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's funny. It's uh, gold. Maybe uh, this is a good kind of transition yeah. into character. Yeah. Sweet. Um, so. so Lauren asked me, she was there when I finished reading. And okay. the first thing she asked me was, was like what I thought about grace. And like, I, I responded, I said like, he's fine in a lot of ways, even though this is a first person narrative, grace feels kind of bland to me. Um, and uh, I'm not sure this is exactly a case of like, you know, the faceless protagonists, like the master chief or something where you're supposed to be able to step into his shoes because weird does give him some personality by bringing in the, you know, the, the loner aspect of it. Uh, and, and the cowardice that we get explored toward the end of the book. 
but I felt oh, he yeah, was just there. like I wasn't grabbed by his character. I was grabbed by the plot. Um, and I found other characters much more interesting, much more compelling than Grace. Was that the mm. same with you guys? I didn't yeah. feel that way the first read, but this time I definitely did. But I think I was yeah. propelled yeah, the- along. Yeah, Rylan Grace is is as much a vehicle for the plot as the Hail Mary itself. And that, I mean, there's nothing particularly wrong with that. I, I, I don't find him to be as fun as again i'm going to keep comparing him to the uh, to weir's other main protagonist mark Wat mark watley uh watney um where mark watney was sort of defiant he was like almost malicious with his optimism ryland is is far more cynical of humanity he looks down on everyone else almost as much as he looks down on himself and on like on paper that sounds like a real bummer of a character but he does turn it around for me with his droll sort of humor we got a taste of it for how it's going to work almost right away when the computer's asking him, for example, what is your name for like the dozenth time? And he's just like, all right, I'm Caucasian, I'm male, I speak English. Let's just play the odds. John is like, incorrect. Damn. You know, or his, his biting thoughts on the, on the hipsters of San Francisco, you know, the customers probably wanted to know if Sally's diner served gluten-free vegan grass clippings. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, he he is very harsh, but I find it works. I don't think it would work alone. If he was alone on that ship, this would be a lot a lot darker of a novel. Uh, but alongside Rocky, it they they complement one another so much. Um, yeah, they do. Yeah. Well, Rocky's joyful and like high energy and <laughs> the jazz hands. I can't get over the jazz hands. <laughs> I can't get over everything to do with this guy. I want a Rocky in my life. I need a wingman like that. He's so good. And how he Shall just, just says, go on to him? Anything else? What? Hey. Oh, on on Grace. Yeah. Rocky. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. So there is a special relationship that I didn't really see as well the first read, but I definitely saw it a lot more with the knowledge that I had by the end of the book, uh, with between like Grace and Strat. Uh, it's obviously much more on her side than it is on his. She clearly is very fond of him, and even when she's not really sure she's going to have a use for him, she hangs on to him. And I think we see that from the very beginning when the astrophage gets there, and she's making fun of him for poking it with a stick or, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I saw a lot more of a rapport uh, where she... She seems very cold in general, but that makes her her softer moments really stick out. Second read, especially toward him. Yeah, she definitely uses him as like an anchor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and when I was blindsided the first read, uh, when they're watching a launch and it's all the astronauts in the and scientists in the same room on the couch and Strat's not there. And they're like, you're number two, right? And he's like, what? No, no, I'm not. I have no authority here at all. She has the authority. And they're like, yeah, you're number two. Like she, she cares about you. Yeah. Who was it that, that ended up saying, dude, I think it, I yeah. think it was Dubois. Yeah. It was like, dude, you, you're number two. Just trust us. 
Yes, it was Yao, it was Yao because he never was talks. So when he did say something, it was big. Mm-hmm. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought like Strat was one of those characters that really stood out to me. Um, and I thought that final scene with Ooh. her was the best, the, the, or at least the maybe not her best scene, but the best look at who she is because she starts off by basically saying like, I don't respect you. And she gets angry and calls him a coward, but she also feels the compulsion to explain herself. She needs to apologize to him for her actions in, you know, in this whole lead up to project Hail Mary. She wants him to understand her. And I think her calling him a coward and her saying she doesn't respect him is in a sense, a lie. I think she does respect him and she desperately wants him to respect her, but she's angry at him. So she's trying to hurt him in turn because his refusal to, to do what she expected him to do is hurting her. So she's lashing out in that scene. Well, Hmm. she, she has this integrity that he does not. Mm Mm-hmm. And she wants him to be better than he is. And when he's not, it's it's a lash out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 The, like, the, it's not a two... lie to say that he's a coward, but it is a lie to say that she doesn't respect him. Yeah. The dichotomy between scenes where we have Strat in the courtroom with, you know, zero time for anyone's licensing lawsuit bullshit. But then... Also, in New Zealand, when they're going into the maximum security prison and the guard is like, look, you are not getting in here with a weapon. I'm fully aware of how much authority you have, but it has its limits. And, you know, uh, she ends up taking the right choice. She ends up, okay, taking that step down, bowing just a little bit to get in. And then Rylan calls her out. He's like, no, no, you cannot use I'm saving the world every time you just want to be a jerk. And she legitimately stops and goes okay all right yeah you may be right all right you know like we have these moments where she is just a a a paragon of authority and focus and other times where she does allow allow this one person to see her inside and it's just yeah yeah between those two she's all over the place i love it when when she for the first time is vulnerable in front of us and in front of him uh where she is just like head in hands exhausted She's got a drink. We never see her drink. Yeah. And she's like, I have this horrible decision to make that's going to hurt people. You know? Mm. And yeah. And she shares that with him and takes his feedback. She doesn't share it with anybody else. She just makes decisions. Or, yeah. And and the- then she tries to tell us that she doesn't care about anything other than saving humanity but we already saw that she did care about these lives of the astronauts even though it's three three people yeah Yeah, i mean even in the aftermath of the nuclear accident the nuclear explosion when they lost both of their science leads you know the first thing rylan grace hears when he's like coming to and his ears are ringing she hears strat screaming his name grace grace are you all right because she's running to him, right? Like, yeah, it's probably because she's right nearby, but I mean, still. Why him? Why isn't she? He's, he's yeah, not exactly. vital she... to the mission. 
Well, but she well, knew that he she, was. She was the only yeah, one that, who that, knew that, that he was. I don't yeah. know if she'd fully decided though. Uh, she they would, had she would have gone ahead. They had a science lead. Yeah, it yeah. was both of the science leads that died in the explosion. She had just kept him. But she didn't know that at the time. You know. Yeah. Right. She exactly. didn't know that oh, they I'm, were I'm, gone. I'm agreeing with you, Lauren. Yeah. Oh she yeah. She had just kept yeah, yeah. him around because the the crew said they liked him the most. I guess. So I think she had she was lying to herself and keeping him yes. around under the the pretense that he helps the crew get along. That's yeah. how I interpreted that. But yeah, she definitely. She cared more. She had more humanity than she was willing to admit. And we saw it time and time again. And it makes her fascinating. Yeah, I loved her a lot more this second read where I could really pay attention to her. Yeah. Not just, you know, saving She's the killed. world. Yeah. Um, Rocky. Yeah, Rocky. We got to talk about Rocky here. Oh, I love him so much. <laughs> yeah, he's he's the uh, the star of the book for sure. The new Rob's favorite pick for the most adorable sci-fi alien companion ever. I am sorry, Hesho of Skyward. Rocky the Iridian is the greatest ever of all time. I don't think I had any single issue with Rocky ever. He's the perfect character, I think. Uh, <laughs> I realize I'm singing his praises here. Uh, the dichotomy between his horrifying appearance and his endearing curiosity and bottomless loyalty. This is the most wholesome alien I've ever read. I loved him. I loved him so much. <laughs> yeah, I gotta say, I am very grateful that my suspicions about him didn't come to pass. Like, once again, this was a thing, like, um, maybe, maybe I just have this reaction to this type of character, but I thought the same thing about... Uh, Rocky as I did with Berenice in Foundry Side and and Three Seagrass in uh, A Memory Called Empire where I was oh, expecting the lovable sidekick character to turn on the main character. Uh, for this one I thought it was going to be something along the lines of like the they would be able to get the amoeba to either be adaptable to one system or the other but not both and that he was going to try to turn on Ryland to uh, you know get it for his system um i'm really glad that that didn't happen because their friendship is so much better than any kind of plot twist like that so yeah <laughs> yeah their it, friendship is sweet yeah it oh, rocky is the number one reason to reread this book because he shines even more at times when you when you are going into some of these mysterious encounters with the understanding of his personality and his culture for example, when Ryland first makes contact with the big, terrifying alien spaceship, and after his first test of the Hail Mary centrifuge, I, I want to say it was to examine the alien artifact, the, the little container mm -hmm. that was launched across. He looks to the camera feed, he being Ryland Grace, looks to the camera feed, and he notes that the blip A is also tumbling end over end in synchronous rotation with the Hail Mary. And I'm sitting there <laughs> smiling because I'm thinking of all these times that Rocky is going to be mimicking him later, and I'm envisioning rocky sitting there at the controls confused uncertain but still mimicking <laughs> in an attempt to communicate even though he's com completely misunderstanding why the hail mary is rotating at that point it's just so endearing i love it yeah like how he it. makes the the little exterior robot wave back at him <laughs> yeah and then i kid you not it waves at me <laughs> it waves <laughs> oh but and then just to, to again, a, a heart-ripping one, for example, when Rocky first says to Ryland, 
you sleep, me watch. And Rylan's confusing it. He says, like, I guess it's fair. The alien wants to watch the human sleep, you know, from the academic angle. But again, as someone who's read it, I know it for the offer that Rocky thinks it is. And then when he first tremulously asks Ryland to watch him sleep, it's, ugh, it doesn't hit any harder. It doesn't, sorry, any, it doesn't hit any softer for the reveal, even though you know it. Hmm. It's, ugh, 46 was, years, dude. Yeah, that was so sad. 46 years? You've been 46. alone? 46. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> oh, I love Rocky. Even, for like, some like silly mistake too that they yeah, could have because they don't through. understand relativity no <laughs> radiation, no, radiation. They understand radiation oh the, the dying sorry i thought we we're talking yeah. about why he has so much astrophage left over because of the time dilation oh. you're right you're right the radiation <laughs> that killed all of his friends bad bad oh. bad bad the triple the repeat repetition there yep but oh and then there's also this moment where he expresses confusion because he he realizes or he learns from rylan grace that you know, Earth is on a much tighter uh, schedule than he is. I mean, Rocky's planet has 72 years still. And, and Ryland explains, you know, well, we're losing energy and, and heat a lot quicker. In 13 more years, half of my species will be dead. And Rocky's just silent for one instant. And then immediately he's just tapping. Then we hurry. We hurry. We science. Or however he puts it. We save Earth. Like, oh, he's just love him. I want to give him. I, I wish I could give him a hug. That would probably kill me. But I just, oh, he's such, yeah, he's the most you. huggable, yeah. never being able to hug character. Ah, I love him. I love Rocky. How, oh, how horrifying was it during the, 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 the Adrian adventure when they're tumbling end over end and they're trying to stay alive. And then we get that instant, that notice of Rocky tumbling around and just leaving those mercury, those silvery bloodstains on the wall. And I'm going, oh, like holding my heart. Ugh. So good. So good. Yeah, I could talk Rocky's about Rocky great. forever. We have to go on. Anything else about Rocky? No. Yeah. Let's let's wrap up Rocky. Do we have any other characters that we need to talk about, or shall we no. get into miscellaneous? Mm. Yeah. We already I talked mean, about Dubois. Dubois. We uh, I love now. the Russian. I love the Russian scientist who uh, <clears throat> developed Dimitri. the spin drives and worked out the uh, the mystery behind energy conversion, mass conversion. Oh, that that guy's cool. That's so he dark. Fun. And that's Russian. You know, big boom. Yeah. Then I buy you a drink in afterlife. <laughs> you know? yeah. That guy's cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, okay. Miscellaneous then? Yeah, yeah. Sweet. I had one little plot hole, one, one tiny little, not an inconsistency, just one thing where I had to really suspend disbelief and like, all right, this is a fantasy book. It has to work out this way so we can have a plot. Um, <clears throat> at the beginning of the book, we're led to believe that 30 different laboratories all over the world get several astrophage cells each. And after weeks, I'm going to say again, weeks of the collective greatest thinkers of humanity doing experiments, the first one to figure out what astrophage wants from Venus is carbon dioxide is our main character. I mean, that's like the only thing most people I feel like know about Venus. That's an like that would just be like an alien civilization, for example, trying to figure out what it is about Earth that makes life so abundant. And after weeks of their best scientists working on it, one of them goes, hey, maybe it's the liquid that covers 70 percent of its surface. You know, that <laughs> that required a little bit of OK, weird. I see that didn't really land for me, but I see that you need a plot. So, OK, we'll make Rylan Grace the one that discovers that because <laughs> I mean. That's the yeah, first thing you think of. Like, what do they want from Venus? I don't know. 99% of its atmosphere, perhaps? 
So my my uh, one miscellaneous point that was also a little possibly a plot hole. I'm not going to say it for sure. is because maybe I just missed something in how fast I read it. But the Iridians don't know about radiation and they don't see. How did they know that Tau Ceti was normal? Thank you. I erased this point from my questions because I was like, that's that's got to be covered and I must be getting something incorrect. You're right, because they didn't know about stars. He was amazed to, that Rylan Grays can see stars. and They have a huge magnetosphere over, uh, over yeah. the planet that extends far beyond orbit. So, yeah, you're right. How did they discover that Tau Ceti was special? So, in its, no. so they, if, if somebody knows the answer, please tell us. They Lauren, noticed, Lauren. So they noticed the effects on their planet, right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Minimal effects, uh, but they had enough information to see that. They already had a space elevator, mm-hmm. and Rocky already has a camera that can translate to him like um, images. Right, but okay, that, that they, made so, a- they would need to be tracking radiation in order to know about, like, you know, know about this sun staying normal. You know what? I don't no. think that works. I just realized I don't think that works for visible light. I'm sure they could visible light can get through their magnetosphere. Uh, it's I think it's the what? no. He says their their planets like pitch black. Yeah, there's no light. Oh, that's right. Oh, damn, that's right. Is it infrared from the stars? What is it? Radio waves, perhaps? Huh. I mean, the the Petrova line is infrared. Yeah. But but that wasn't if I'm remembering right. It wasn't that they like. Found the Petrova line. Because, yeah, he didn't see the Petrova line until he got to the Tau Ceti system. They just knew that Tau Ceti, as a star, was staying... Was not dimming, like, all the other stars in the area. I don't know. Well, so so he does have a camera that's not new. He wasn't the first to create this camera. You know, when he's trying to observe things and he... Like, when he names colors for the first time. Uh Uh-huh. Like, green is mid-bumpy. So he he was... They were able to look at things. But you're right, it's a little sketchy. Yeah, I don't... I did not get the sense that that was sensitive enough that it'd be able to track, like, the brightness of a star. And and like Rob said, he... He doesn't realize... Rocky doesn't realize that, like, there are stars out there. Like, he, he... Brings that, that up at one point. Then how would he have ever seen the other ship? His his stuff picked up on the Petrova signature of his engines. It was Ryland's Petrova signature. Well, if yeah. he can yeah. see Petrova signature, then of course he could see the the one. But they would have to thing get past, that's not dimming. That's part of the Petrova. But but it, it was specifically the, territory to discover that though, because they would. Hmm. Yeah, maybe the maybe so, they got out. The first ones discovered radiation from the stars or whatnot. They came back and then died of no, because he doesn't know about no, the sickness. No, they didn't though. know about radiation yeah. at all. So Ryland's instruments don't pick up on the Petrova signature of the Petrova line in Tau Ceti until he's in the Tau Ceti system. The humans see it just based on visible light that the star yeah. isn't dimming. That's yeah. why they know Tau Ceti is a thing. We don't know why. The yeah. Iridians knew Tau Ceti was the special place they had to I go. I would like to, I, I like to think someone has probably asked him that because that's probably the number one issue uh, yeah. with this book. I would say if there's no particular answer to that. 
that would be my new number one issue with this book because it is a glaring <laughs> one. But I was like, that's so glaring. And he's done so much homework that I have to have missed the answer to this. And I deleted it from my notes. So that's why you got that reaction I mean, when you started. I was able to just suspend yes. my disbelief on it and be like, you know what? Like, I don't care enough. I'm having fun with the story. Yeah. But I had to bring it up in miscellaneous points. Mm. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Lauren, more do you have any stuff? miscellaneous stuff to bring up? Oh, I've got a few. Uh, Lauren, do you have any or should I continue? You, you go. Okay. I, I got to say, I love these moments where Ryland's ideas run away from him. He's too clever for his own good at sometimes. There's a moment when he first, again, before he officially formally meets Rocky, he's just looking at this alien spaceship. He's wondering, he's contemplating. He's like, well, besides, if there is hostile intent, what would I do about it? Die. That's what I would do. I'm a scientist, not Buck Rogers. Well, I mean, I guess I could point the spin drives at their ship, fire them up to full, which would vaporize. You know what? I'm just, I'm not going to think along those lines right now. Like he's still, there are several moments when he's about to solve a problem. And for example, Rocky comes up with a better problem. And he's like, oh, I, 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 I could have solved it this other way. You know? And he's like, you know what? Screw it. I am going to solve it this way. There's a, there's a, a particular equation closer to the beginning of the book. He's like, you know, what? I still want to do that just out of my own curiosity. His love of science and his enthusiasm for the unknown or finding the answers to the unknown just runs away with him. And I find that to be such uh, an organic character note to return to. I love it. So nice. Uh, Airlocks. Oh, <laughs> and the mysterious, when the, uh, the mysterious alien spaceship is first docking to the hail Mary's airlock and Ryland notes, he's like, I let the wall catch up to me at some lizard brain level. I like being a little farther away from the airlocks. It's like scary stuff is going on over there. And again, wouldn't have thought to include that. Wouldn't have thought about where I would be in a giant spaceship room where an alien spaceship is docking with my airlock. But you're absolutely right. I would probably unconsciously be as far from that door as possible, despite the fact that it doesn't matter where I am if anything goes wrong. It's, I mean, again, it just, just reminds me like that scene reminded me of the amnion and some of the reactions like the, that, like visceral baseline level reaction humans yeah. have to amniony tech. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, I get this hilarious. I don't know why this hilarious mental image of Rylan Grace is like peeking over a desk, all terrified towards that, that blank door with as much of clunks going on. <laughs> but yeah, I'm ready to get into a uh, <laughs> final scene or final scenes. Favorite scenes? Any other miscellaneous from either of you guys? Uh, no, I'm, no, I'm ready for favorite scenes. Okay, I'll start with my third favorite. Yeah? Yeah. Sound like a deal? Okay. Rylan breaking the news, finally, after wondering how he's going to do it, breaking the news to Rocky that he's not going back to Earth, and that they had a, such a strict time limit that he had to leave as soon as they had enough fuel. And Rocky understands. He tells him, you are a good human. And then Ryland, naturally being Ryland, changes the subject so he doesn't have to think about it. It starts into their next problem, but Rocky interrupts. He's like, wait, how much astrophage do you need? Two million kilograms. I can give. It's like, then Ryland sits up, what? I can give. I have extra. Can give that much and still have plenty for my return to Arid. You can have. And it just ends with Ryland wiping away tears with, you are okay, question? Yes, I saw. Yes, I'm okay. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Just <laughs> such a touching moment. I just, you fall in love with Rocky every time he's on there. It's just so wonderful. So that's my third favorite. Yeah, Lauren, what about you? Um, introduction to Strat for the first time, where Ooh. she's like, "No, you're coming with me. It's not optional." 
um, you can either walk on your own or be carried. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I, I like yep. some of her ultimatums. Like when they meet with uh, Dr. Locken the first time and yes. she's like, you can meet us at the airport in an hour or you can be brought to the airport against your will in two hours. Your choice. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'll send the Swiss gendarmerie to bring you to the airport against your will. <laughs> <laughs> ah, she's cool. Yeah. Uh, well, my third favorite scene yep. is uh, Rocky and Grace's uh, presumptive final departure when they're leaving Tau Ceti and going off in different directions. Like that was, uh, you know, had a, had a little lump in my throat while I was reading that one. Just good. Very I love heartfelt. hearing that. I love hearing that. Sweet. Well, I love that you said that right there, too, because my second favorite follows this. This is Ryland's final choice that he makes in this book. Return home as the greatest hero the world has ever seen. Or follow Rocky and save his world potentially too with guaranteed death. And that that sort of jaw clench, blinking away tears moment and those words, hang on buddy, I'm coming. I'm getting, I'm getting tears in my eyes right now. I can't <laughs> handle how wholesome and mushy and sad and how beautiful that was. So good. So good. Yeah, but also I think about in that scene, like, what is he returning home to? He already knows that half the people he knew are going to be dead, and he's not that well connected to. It's basically him choosing, um, like, death and friendship over life and petty revenge. Because he's, like, thinking about how he's going to have words for Strat. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But I'm also yeah. like, what is what kind of an earth is he returning home to? I, I feel like her yeah. predictions are going to be real. I mean, I, yeah, either gonna way. Be... It's, yeah, it's going to be like returning home to Mad Max regardless. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, what kind of a return home is that? I gotta I'm... say, I'm not a huge fan of the of the fact that he ended up on, you know, Eris or Eris, Eris for like, it's just. It's such a weird setting. You know, I love that he's still there and that he gets to teach alien kids. I love that idea. But stuck in a dome his whole life and eating me burgers, that's just a little, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't like that. I, I will say also, uh, I don't like the risk he's taking there because he was originally going to go deliver the Taumiba. But in saving Rocky, he's like, oh, scientists will deal with it. Hope hope the ships make it there. Thanks, Beatles. Even though he well, knows that it's a slim er chance that they all or even one of them makes it. Well, if the Beatles so, don't make it and he does, they're all still screwed anyway. I mean, they can't get more Tau, tau Mia from Earth at that point. Yeah, but he would have dropped it off already. He would have been solving the problem. Had he, he continued on to Earth, and by not continuing on to Earth, he's risking the world. Gotta trust that Canadian and engineering sun. and those Beatles. Mm. That's what we gotta mm. do. Canadian trust in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Hatch uh, is awesome. I think his name well, is Steve Hatch. Uh, What's his name? Well, so Lauren, what was your second favorite scene? Oh, sorry. Uh, oh, yeah. It's another strat. I can't help myself, but her final scene with him where she's like, lashing out at him and we already talked about how how much it shows of her but oh i i kind of appreciate her 
her SmackDown, honestly. Like, I really, second read was like, you are such an expletive. You are a whiny little expletive. You know, like, come on, man. What are you yeah, really going to do? I got to admit, I thought Drew was going to hate Strat. I really thought he was. No, I liked Strat. Sweet. Yeah. Sweet. Uh, in fact, that scene was probably an honorable mention for me. I, I considered it for my top three. Uh, but my second favorite scene, also a Strat scene. Uh, <laughs> Ma'am, I'll have to restrain you if you don't comply. Ah, you yeah. and what army? <laughs> because I have the U.S. Army, and that's a damn fine army. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just like, what a what a way to throw down the gauntlet. <laughs> Literally, when I heard that line was that was this morning at about five eleven in the morning, and I was walking into work, and uh, the the plant manager was holding the door open, and I just smiled like an idiot when she said that. And I he he saw me smiling, and I thought I was like, ah, crap. He thinks I'm laughing at something he did. <laughs> but I had a very specific memory of that line this moment, uh, this morning. It stood out. Always does. Yeah, the the yep. whole scene was great, but but just the the mic drop at the end of it, yeah, <laughs> perfect. Uh, so yeah, Rob, you, what was your favorite scene? How could I choose anything except the Adrian adventure? This entire sequence of collecting this astrophage predator sample, you know, over planet Adrian, how it just shifts immediately into this frantic spinning disaster as Rylan Gray's and his like almost Smokey and the Bandit companion Rocky just ripping across the skies of this gas giant, tearing the atmosphere apart with the full power of the Hail Marys and inconceivable engines. Just the image of leaving that crimson ionized glow behind them as the fate of two entire planets hangs in the balance. Just, huh. I mean, I would give that, that's the, for me, that's the climax of the book. Everything else after that is just fireworks. But for me, that's just the bet, the most nail-biting, wonderful, tense, satisfying moment, especially considering how it ends with that tragedy, you know, Rocky's sacrifice, save earth, save arid. He just collapses and just, oh, so, so exciting and so horrifying and so gripping. That is amazing storytelling. And I can't get the image of that hail of the Hail Mary carving that crimson arc across the sky with those inconceivable engines. I can't get that image out of my head. I don't want to. It's amazing. So yeah. <laughs> nice. It's my favorite. All right. Lauren, Lauren, your favorite? Okay. I oh, I love this scene so much. I, I got so excited this time around too. And I mean I was excited the first time, but like first contact. Ooh. And I'm specifically thinking of just the tap, like the tap, tap, tap. And he looks through and he sees like a rock tapping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just he keeps like accidentally referring to it as a claw in his mind. He's like, the claw. Yeah. Can. Yeah. He's like, don't think that. Don't think that. <laughs> nope. Nope. Not definitely not a claw. Okay. Yeah. But I was just so excited for him to meet Rocky. <laughs> yeah. Is this because you knew it, like Rocky was was waiting there again, uh, like with the context of a reread, or are you talking about like the horror and uncertainty and excitement of the first read? Uh, yeah. So this read definitely the excitement of like it's Rocky. Oh my gosh, he gets to meet Rocky. But yeah. the first time it was definitely the excitement of what what is it? What do they know? Who are they? Like, what do they want? <laughs> what what I'm does scared. it look like? What? <laughs> Yeah. Everything we'd be wondering in that exact same situation. Everything. 
Oh, I just love it. It's good stuff. And it's good stuff. Drew, my uh, friend. So my favorite scene was when Rocky and Grace share with each other that they are the only survivors of their respective crews. Oh, God, yeah. And just that that moment where they like kind of just like put their hand and claw up against the, the glass in between them. You know, yeah. I stammer bad, 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 bad. And he says, my original crew is three. Now it's just me. I put my hand up against the divider. Rocky puts a claw on the divider opposite my hand. Bad, 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 bad. I say, we stay like that for a moment. I'll watch you sleep. Good me sleep he says and then the chapter ends with well you're not alone anymore buddy neither of us are first time he calls him buddy too which is... yeah <laughs> yeah and he was being such mm, a little bit selfish at the beginning of that scene where he was mm-hmm. like okay i really need to walk away yeah. and do my own thing for a little while yeah understandably so of course because i'm a little extroverted me. out i need some me time. Yeah. Thank God you're finally sleeping. <laughs> I really don't want to watch a dog, a Labrador space spider dog sleep. I don't know. I keep saying dog, uh, alien spider just sleep, not move for six hours. But then, you know, once he has that context, that oh. silence, that reverent silence and understanding as if it was going to be anything else. It's masterwork. Yeah, really is. That was that was the other scene that I had a you know a little bit of a lump in my throat. Yeah, but yeah. So I think Final that thoughts. brings us yeah to the to the end of our our book discussion. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm I got like a couple final thoughts. Yeah, oh. like so I've I've had a little bit of a honestly like a hard time reading for the last couple months. Um, just. Like, obviously, I've gotten my reading done for the podcast, but that's because I have to get it done. And and outside of that, I have basically read nothing for two months, which is very weird for me. Uh, but I feel like this book kind of, like, kick-started that again, you know, where I just had fun reading the book. I cruised through it in two days, and, you know, and really, I barely read on, on Monday. Uh because I was just so busy, but, but like, I, I kind of have that spark to, you know, read something fun again. So I, I'm excited about that. Yeah. Um, so thanks Andy. Weir. yeah, I don't know what else I can say about this book. I mean, I absolutely adore it more than anything else. And this is including the hard science, including the stellar characters, this perfect sprinkling of, of flavorful humor. It's, Overall, this saturating theme of harmony through science that really makes it and, and you know, other works by Andy Weir similar, like shine as brightly as they do for me. We ended the Martian that way. You know, Mark Watney's pondering over humanity's remarkable agility to come uh, agility, ability to come together and, and just move worlds if they need to when given the right reasons. Um, you know, I also feel like much of the time, as is kind of like the common Internet joke now, apocalyptic level events in, in movies and in books or media tend to focus a little more often, noticeably so, on the American audience involving, you know, uh, American solutions to problems. You know, the, the international unison that we get, though, first in The Martian, is it's only expanded on 
and Project Hail Mary. And I and I, I wrote this very, very quick list. I mean, we're starting simply with our Earth characters here. Ryland is our, of course, he's our main character. He's an American. He's a school teacher. Strat, the director of Project Hail, uh, of Hail Mary. She's Dutch. We have New Zealand contributing for, you know, for the heat panel design that breeds astrophage. We learn from the Belgians about steering astrophage with magnetic field lines. Uh, we Canadians contribute the Beatles. Uh, Dimitri, the <laughs> Russian, unlocks the secret of energy conversion and designs the spin drives. Lockin is Norwegian, who is the head of design of the ship. Francois Leclerc, the French climatologist, he's the one who stalls the impending ice age by amplifying and regulating the greenhouse gases. Lamai, who's head of the coma and medical technology, she's Thai. And we then we have then we have Rocky and the Eridanians, or Iridians, pardon me, and their questions their dignity, their friendship, their hospitality, you know, all do at heart to this shared vision. That's that is in my head, like in my head canon science as a vehicle for hope. And that above all else is what I take away from each one of these books that I've read of his so far. And that is why I will always look forward, pardon me, to whatever this man does next. So nice. That's yeah. a good way to put it. That's so that's what drew me in that I was trying to say at the beginning was he clearly loves science and his books feel like love stories to humanity and our accomplishments through study of the natural world, you know? And that's, that of course that speaks to me, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think it's a point that speaks to millions. Yeah. I yeah. think that's a you know a great a great point to end this on. I think it's a great point to end uh, you know Rob's the current incarnation as the co-host of Inking Out Loud with a book yeah, that baby. Rob recommended and uh, and and you know that's this is a fun episode. And of course, now that we're done with our conversation of the book, we got to talk about what we're drinking. So, mm-hmm. Rob, are you drinking anything fun over there? I did not. I am already beginning my uh, sobriety, I, sh- I shall say, for, yeah, boot, for camp. boot camp. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to have any ability to indulge in anything beyond water and and misery for, for a few <laughs> interesting misery. weeks. And so I don't want to add like a withdrawal effect for anything. Um, yeah, for leading sure. up to it so yeah i've already started my uh, my clean streak so for today i was just drinking a nice tim hortons coffee which i guess is kind of appropriate for my last one since i'm the resident canadian making a mic yep. drop sort of exit very um, canadian <laughs> yeah so i was drinking a double double nice timmy's double double there nice how about you guys though yeah. well i i've just been drinking water because i am uh you know still on my my own sober kick here but lauren has a beer oh yeah so I am drinking a sour ale brewed with honeydew and wheat. It's really good. Um, It's actually a collaboration beer between Epic Brewing, well, the branch of it that's in Denver, and the Commons Brewery in Portland, Oregon. So as a sour wheat, I would probably put this in the category of Berliner Weiss, which is traditionally a a German style um, like hazy wheat beer with lactobacillus making it sour that bacteria and um, 
they usually use syrups like raspberry in there. Um, but this one is called Common Interests. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That not only fits for Rocky and Rylan Grace, but it also fits for the theme that we ended on with the loving the love of science that connects everybody and, and harmonizes to, to give us more than what we have as the sum of our parts. It's just... Exactly. Yeah, I yes. love it. I was such... so happy you brought the ended things on that. I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. I love the beer choice. I love yeah, it. Fantastic. Fantastic. And a, a little bit of a, a beer lesson as usual when we have Lauren on. I cannot help myself. Perfect. I don't want I you to it. help yourself. I'm, I want you to no, no. give the beer lessons. <laughs> um, but yeah, that brings us to the end of this episode and the end of an era of Inking Out Loud. 183 episodes later, nearly four yeah. years after we first recorded uh, our our episode on the first half of Elantris. It has been a, a heck of a run, and we have exciting things planned in the future. Uh, as a result of the shift in personnel, we are going to be putting the Book of the New Sun on hold until Rob can make his return. Uh, having that first-time reader experience is a big part of the fun of it, uh, and I know Rob you know, wants to be included in that uh, when when yeah. Inking Out Loud... I did tell Drew he can continue without me. I even not. Yeah, yeah, but, I even, yeah, but just I, wouldn't be the same. Just when I, I sure can't definitely cannot blame you there. We can we can say yeah. that for my return, which again will happen. It will happen. Uh, yeah. Might not be regular for some time yet, but it will happen. So, in lieu of continuing on directly to the Claw of the Conciliator, uh, Jared is going to be making his return to inking out loud for the next batch of episodes and yes. we are going to be covering the Lycanius trilogy starting with the first 29 chapters of the shadow of what was lost for next week so i i know that's a pretty popular trilogy of books out there i have never read them jared has never read them um we you know, have two copies yeah we have we got two free copies from jordan con seven years ago six years ago no. And and never cracked them open, so we're gonna finally check that out. Uh, yeah, so for the next uh, the next few weeks here, we're gonna be covering Lycanius. So keep your eyes peeled for that. As always, if you want to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com/inkingoutloud. Get access to all the fun stuff there. Um, may have to reevaluate some of our rewards depending on my uh, workload. Uh, yeah, now geez. that it, I no longer have Rob helping me with that, but I'm going to try to keep it uh, the same as what we have going right now. Um, it'll just be, I guess, more motivation for me to write, uh, which is not a bad thing. Oh, good. Always good. But as always, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Bye, everyone. <laughs> and our Thank special so guest, much. Lauren McCaffrey. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time.